All right, guys, before we get started, I want to talk to you about a dope new product we have. It is our grass-fed whey isolate protein. It is hands down the best protein ever made. It comes from healthy and happy New Zealand cows that roam on gorgeous green grass-fed pastures. There's no added sugar, which means it's great for a low-carb diet, which I follow pretty much year-round. Because even in the summertime when I'm eating carbohydrates, I don't want to get carbohydrates in fucking powdered form. I want them from sweet potatoes, starches, berries, real food. That doesn't mean I don't mind getting a little extra protein from powder form, especially when it comes from high-quality cows. And this has got it all. It's got a lot more than most protein powders. We include digestive enzymes that help lower inflammation and help you absorb and assimilate the most amount that you can possibly take in from this protein. We've also added in probiotics like Lactobacillus acidophilus, which is incredibly important for the gut microbiome and our immune systems. Check this product out. You're sure to like it. We've got delicious flavors like vanilla and Mexican chocolate. I know you'll enjoy it. Give it a look. We isolate protein from grass-fed cows. Welcome to the Human Optimization Hour with Kyle Kingsbury, presented by Onnit. Our guest today is Jim Quick. That's J-I-M space K-W-I-K. I got to spell it out because He's founded a thing called Quick Learning, and a lot of this is on speed, how you can learn faster, how you can retain more, how you can read faster and retain more. All these tips and tricks really optimize the way we learn, and Jim has a fascinating story on what got him into this, which we take a deeper dive into, but also on just some of the ways we can learn more. And uh, he has an amazing podcast called Quick Brain, that's K-W-I-K, Brain, that I think everyone should dive deep into. They're only about 10 to 15 minutes each episode. I've been going down the rabbit hole on them, starting with episode one, just trying to retrace every episode the guy's done. Um, just a phenomenal guest. Easily one of the best podcasts we've done. I know you'll dig it. Thanks for listening. Well, we're here. We got Jim Quick in town. Hi, I've been looking forward to this. Thanks, Kyle. Yeah, same here. I've been following you for a while. I can't remember the first time I listened to you. It was probably, I want to say, two or three years ago now. Yeah. Um, but... Obviously, this is a massive topic. Anytime you can teach somebody how to learn quicker and retain more information and speed reading, I mean, there's there's a ton to unpack here with you. Uh, but it's been something I've wanted to, to really dive into because as there's a thirst for knowledge and, and a want to learn more, there's also a want and a need to do it better and more efficiently, right. right? And the one thing that we're all lacking is time. So how we can use that more efficiently becomes a really big driving factor in our lives. Completely. I mean, time is our most valuable asset. I think for me, right on the top, everyone can relate to, um, I mean, people always make more money, but we all have, what, 86,400 seconds in a day. You know, we're not all equal in terms of our, our network, our education, um, our, our contacts, but we all have the same amount of time. And it's really, I don't believe so much in time management, but I do believe in managing our tasks and managing our priorities that we have and making the best use of it. Yeah. So, so many experts that come in, and I want to qualify you as an expert for sure. So many people that get into the field of health and wellness, diet, nutrition, or anything for that matter, there's there's some driving force behind why they needed to do that, why they needed yeah. to learn the things that they did. And obviously, you know, I, I've heard a bit of this, but I would like you to elaborate a bit on what made you want to work on your brain and, and master all these skills. Yeah, I could tell you that my... The quick story, pardon the pun, is uh, my inspiration really was my my desperation. I um, when people see me on stage, 
and I do some mental feats or what have you, I always tell people I don't do this to impress you. I really do this to express to you what's really possible because the truth is every single person listening to this could do so much uh, more. They're capable of so much more. We're just not taught. If anything, we're taught a lie. We're taught a lie that somehow our intelligence, our potential, our uh, our abilities, our memory is somehow fixed like our shoe size. And the exciting thing is that we've discovered more about the human brain more in the past 20 years than the previous 2,000 years combined. And what we found is we're grossly underestimating our own capabilities and um, we could do. And so when um, I know this because I grew up with learning difficulties. Um, at the age of five, I had, a, had an accident head trauma, brain injury, and um, I was never the same since then. I mean, my, my parents describe it as just my personality changed. Um, I, I didn't understand things. Teachers would repeat themselves five, six, seven times, and I would just pretend. I would have this imposter syndrome at the age of like six and seven where I would pretend to understand, but I didn't really understand. I had very bad focus. I had a horrible memory. I didn't retain information. Uh, I was very forgetful. And uh, actually for reading, it took me an extra three, almost four years longer just to learn how to read. And so I struggled through school. Um, at the age of nine, I remember this very clearly. Um, an adult, a teacher pointed to me talking to another adult, uh, thinking I wasn't paying attention or maybe not smart enough to understand, pointing to me saying, that's the boy with a broken brain. Uh, which is in crazy, right? You know, yeah, I know. I mean, that really messes with your psyche. I mean, yeah. that's why adults have to be very careful because your your external words become their child's internal words. You know what I mean? That became my self-talk. So every single time that I didn't do well, which was all the time, you know, I wasn't picked in sports or I was, um, you know, didn't do well on a quiz, I would always explain it because I was, oh, I'm the boy with the broken brain. You know, I'm just not, I'm not here. And, and um you know, I talk about super uh, powers and superheroes a lot because um, because I uh, I actually taught myself how to read by reading comic books late at night. Something about the hero's journey, um, good versus evil, um, this idea of hope and real help that one person fundamentally can make a difference. It just brought the words to life, and uh, and so. But I think my superpower growing up as a kid was uh, invisibility. You know, I did everything I could not to have the attention on myself because I didn't want it. And I became, um, I was introverted, but I also became painfully shy because when you feel like you don't have a lot to offer people, you don't really want to connect with people. And so so I remember I had one opportunity in high school to change my life. Um, like I was not doing very well in, in my classes. And um, they called my parents and uh, the teacher did saying that, hey, we're going to give your kid, you know, Jim, one, uh, one chance to get some extra credit and do a, this book report so he could pass. And the book purport was on, um, I chose was Leonardo da Vinci and, um, and a little bit on Einstein also as well. And I, and I did it and I spent months on this and I had it professionally bound and everything. I was so excited about this because it was something I really committed myself to. And then the day that it was due, um, I have it in my backpack and the teacher um, asked me, says, class, you know, we have a, we have a surprise. Um, Jim, come up and talk about um, your book report. And I was so scared because I'm like, I mean, it, I, I was terrified of public speaking, right? Um, and I actually, I mean, my heart was being out of my chest. I was perspiring. I'd spent a good amount of time in the Amazon rainforest. And I swear I was sweating more in that classroom than I did in that, that whole uh, <laughs> voyage. Um, so, but I actually, I was so scared that I actually told the teacher that I didn't do the report. And I had dedicated two months like doing this every single day. And um, it was the one thing that was going to make the difference, but I just was so scared. And um, I, I 
I took a failing grade and on the way out of class, when everyone left, I threw the book report in the trash. And it was like, you know, it was symbolic also at that same time that I was, I was kind of throwing my dreams and my potential out also. And so I really struggled. Um, at the age of 18 though, is where everything turned around. I, I was lucky enough to get into a state school and I, um, I, I was like, as a freshman, I wanted to make a fresh start. And who doesn't want to make a fresh start in their life sometimes, right? I wanted to show the world, show myself, show my family, make them proud that I was good enough and um, took all these classes and actually did worse. And I was ready to quit school because I, I didn't have the money at that time. My parents immigrated here. We lived in the, as you know, early on, we were lived in the back of a laundromat, that, that whole story. But um, I didn't have the money. And so I was ready to quit school. But a friend was like, hey, before you quit school, let's get some perspective. I'm going to go visit my family this weekend. Why don't you come with? And I had never been to California before. And so I agreed to go on this trip. Um, and I feel like perspective, Kyle, is so important in our life. You know, and for me, changing perspective is changing place and changing people. And it gives me a new, new point of view on things, you know, whether you need to problem solve or innovate or, or make a new decision. And, and when I go there, the family is pretty well off, um, beautiful home near the water and such. And then the father walks me around his, the property before dinner and asks me a very innocent question, but it's the worst question you could ask me at the time. It's, he says, um, Jim, how's school? And I was just like, oh man. And I just unload on him and I just tell him, oh, I'm the boy with the broken brain and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm ready to quit school. I don't know how to tell my folks. And he's, he paused, he's like, stop. He was like, Jim, why are you in school? And these are interesting questions, you know, outside of perspective, I think questions really um, define us a lot. The questions we ask ourselves on a regular basis, they're really key. When I teach people how to read faster or remember names, a lot of it is question-based because I think ask and you shall receive. And if you want to create new solutions, you want to ask new questions. And I've never been asked that question. I was like, I don't know why I'm in school. You know, he, well, he was like, well, what do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? And I and there are new questions. I start to answer them, and he pauses. He says, "Stop!" And he reaches into his back pocket and he pulls out a journal. And I honestly thought only eleven-year-old girls carried diaries and stuff like that. But he <laughs> he he takes out a couple of sheets, tears a couple of sheets out, and hands them to me. And it gives me a pen and makes me write down my answers. And after I don't know how long the exercise was, I have like a bucket list, you know. And I didn't know it was a bucket list at the time. Um, and I, I thought the exercise was over and I have all like, a, you know, dozens of things that I want to be, do, have, share. And I start folding it up to put it in my pocket and he grabs it right out of my hand. And I'm freaking out because I wasn't expecting him to look at my dreams. You know, these, these are things that are very private. And he starts looking at them and I honestly don't know how much time went by, but he looks at me, he's like, Jim, you are this close to everything on this list. And he spreads his index fingers about a foot apart. And I'm thinking, give me 10 lifetimes, I'm not going to crack that list. And he takes his fingers and he puts it them to the side of my temple, you know, the side of my, 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 my head, if you will, meaning that what's in between my, my, my brain, my mind is really the key that's going to give me the things, my dreams. And he takes me into his home. And you love this, Kyle. He takes me into his home, into a room I've never seen before. It's wall to wall, ceiling to floor, covered in books. Like I've never seen a library in somebody's house before, right? And uh, now keep in mind, I've never finished a book cover to cover. I hate reading. I'm, I'm, I, I have I dyslexia, like I flip things in my head and with my learning challenges. And so I'm phobic of reading. It'd be the equivalent of walking into a room full of snakes. 
But what makes it worse <laughs> is this guy starts grabbing snakes and handing them to me, right? On the shelf, the shelf. And I start looking at the titles of these books and there are these biographies of some really incredible iconic men and women in history and some very early personal growth books like Napoleon Hill, The Power of Positive Thinking, you know, um, um, and so I, I was like, what am I doing with these books? And he's like, Jim, I want you to read one of these books a week if you want the things on that list. And I'm like, uh, have you not heard my story? You know, I have learning challenges. I can't even keep up with school. I'm ready to quit. I have midterms and I, you know, I have all the schoolwork. And he looks me right in the eye and he says, Jim, don't let school get in the way of your education. And uh, it flipped me out. That, I mean, even just, I, I get goosebumps thinking, I call them truth bumps. Um, but I, I didn't realize it was a Mark Twain quote at the time. And I was like, you know, that's a really nice saying. And yet I can't do this because if I commit to it, I'm going to do it. And he's very, very, very smart man. Um, he takes out my bucket list, which he still has. And he starts reading every single one of my dreams out loud. And mm -hmm. something, I don't know, Kyle, something about hearing another man, a stranger who's obviously very happy and successful, hearing your dreams and somebody else's voice encanted into the universe, it just messed with my mind, my heart, my spirit, my soul, something fierce. And I agree to, to because a lot of things on that list um, as a backstory had to do with my parents, things I wanted to do for them, things that they can never afford to do for themselves or would do for themselves. So with that leverage and that motivation, and I think that's also another critical key, we talk, you know, talk about perspective, asking questions, motivation is key to learning. Motivation is key to, to keeping a fit body. Motivation is you know, key to having a fulfilling relationship and such. Uh, with that motivation, I agree to uh, read one book a week. And now fast forward, I'm back at school and I have a desk, I'm at my desk, I have a pile of books I have to read for school and a pile of books I wanna read for my life and I can't keep up. So what do I do? I sacrifice the most important thing that we opened this conversation with, which is my time. You know, I don't eat, I don't sleep, I don't work out, I don't spend time with friends, I don't spend time in nature, I don't do all the things that we know would be healing, I actually just live in the library and 24 seven I'm studying and I'm pulling all-nighters and it's not very sustainable. I end up passing out one night. I fall down a flight of stairs at the library. I hit my head again and I wake up two days later in the hospital. And I'm hooked to these IVs, I'm malnourished, dehydrated. And at this point, I'm wasting away. I mean, I'm down to 117 pounds. I mean, I just look, I like, I look like death, right? And um, when I woke up, a different part of me woke up also and it asked a new question saying, there has to be a better way. Right, you know, what am I going to do here? And when I had that thought, the nurse came in with a mug of tea and had a picture of an iconic a genius, the opposite of what I thought I was. It was um, Albert Einstein, who I kind of did this book report about, right, back in school. And it had a phrase that you've all heard before. It said, "The same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem." You know, and made me ask a new question. I was like, "What's my problem? My problem is I'm a really slow learner." I was like, well, how do I think differently about it? Well, maybe I could learn how to learn better. And so I think, okay, I asked the nurse for a course bulletin for next semester's classes. And I look at all the classes, hundreds and hundreds of classes, but they're all classes on what to learn, not how to learn. Classes like math, history, science, Spanish, all important classes, but there's no classes on how to learn, like how to focus, how to concentrate, how to think, how to solve problems, how to be creative, how to uh, read faster, how to remember th things. I always thought it should have been the fourth obvious R in school. They teach you three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic. But what about recall? What about retention? What about remembering? So Socrates says learning is remembering. And so I put my studies aside and I just studied 
this area of learning, adult learning, uh, learning theory, multiple intelligences, anything I get my hands on, because I wanted to to solve this riddle, this this puzzle, which basically is how does my how does my brain work so I could work my brain? How does my memory work so I could work my memory? And I pour myself into this. And basically the, the quick of it is 60 days after studying the brain, studying um, how people learn, a light switch flipped on and I just started to understand things in class for the first time. My focus became clearer, my memory became sharper. I started to understand and retain and apply this information and my grades shot up and not only my grades, my life. Now, how I end up doing this 25 years later, you know, for past 25 years is because I couldn't help but help other people. I was so angry that this wasn't taught back in school because like I, I didn't have to suffer and struggle. I had to work three times harder for a third of what everyone else had. And it was just very disheartening. And so I started tutoring people and out of my passion. And one of my very first students, she was a freshman. She read, get this Kyle, 30 books in 30 days. Could you imagine going online, picking up 30 books and not just reading it fast, but retaining it? I got 30 like, books on my desk. Exactly. I want the 30, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's amazing. And I was like, I didn't want to know um, how she did it. I know exactly how, but I want to know why, going back to motivation. And I asked her and I found out that her mother was dying of terminal cancer, was given two months, just 60 days to live. And the books she was reading were books on health, medicine, uh, wellness, energy, you know, like... And because she was determined to save her mother's life. And I just wished her luck, Good, you know, and what do you say at that at that time? And six months later, I get a call from this young lady and she's crying and she's crying and crying. And I find out when she stops that there are tears of joy, that her mother not only survived, but is really getting better. Doctors don't know how, they don't know why. They called it a miracle, but her mother attributed 100% to the advice she got from her daughter who learned it from all these books. And in that moment, at my soul level, I realized that if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower. That if knowledge is power, learning is our superpower. And it's a superpower we all have. And it's time really now to to unleash it. Fuck yeah. Yeah, <laughs> let's do that. <laughs> let's take the deep dive here. Um, you mentioned a term that I'm unfamiliar with, uh, multiple intelligences. Mm -hmm. Can you unpack that? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the myths I... I I believe is that people think that intelligence is fixed. That like something like IQ, you take an IQ test when you're a kid and that's something that stays with you for the rest of your life. My problem with that and a lot of standardized tests, even when you look at the SATs that we took, you know, growing up, it has two areas that it focuses on. You know, um, it has uh, like the verbal linguistic and it has the math, right? That's the SATs. And my thing is, two, there are two problems with it. Intelligence for me is not fixed, right? In fact, intelligence is something that's fluid. It's something that could grow, right? We could always level up our learning and level up our life. But the other thing is society, those tests don't really accurately represent what we value in society, in today's society, because there's so many other areas of intelligence. So let's say somebody's great verbally, which is wonderful, and mathematically, but what about somebody who has incredible um, interpersonal skills, like interpersonal intelligence, people who are incredible with other people, right? Whether they're speakers, they're coaches, um, they are uh, politicians or leaders, people, and that's a form of intelligence, right? People who are good with people. What about kinesthetic intelligence? You know, people who have an incredible level IQ with their body. Yeah, Michael Jordan's a e genius. Exactly, exactly. And that's the thing with genius. I don't, I don't equate genius with IQ. But what about musicians, right? Musical intelligence is that's, I mean, think about 
you know, all, all the incredible um, pianists, you know, all the incredible artists that are out there, that's a form of intelligence. What about visual spatial intelligence, like the actual like graphic designers and artists and architects, right? Um, in, in, we talked about interpersonal, meaning self to, se- to others, but what about self to self, intrapersonal intelligence, people who are just incredibly gifted in, the, in knowing themselves, right? And it's a form of intelligence. And so there are all these other forms of intelligence. The challenge is, is just in society, sometimes we like to put people in buckets. Like we talk about the education system and it was really, if, if everyone's listening to this right now, you can identify with three super villains that I talk about. I talk about superheroes, but the super villains now are villains that are new, that were generations before. They didn't have these powers, but I would say they're digital, driven by the digital age, digital overload, too much information, too little time. I remember giving a talk and, and the uh, the chairman of Google said, the amount of information that's been created from the dawn of humanity since humans walked this planet to the year 2003. Think about all that information, all the books, newspapers, everything. That amount of information now is created every two days today. It just takes 48 hours. Think about all the blogs and the podcasts and everything that gets published, the books and everything. So the amount of information is doubling at dizzying speeds. But has how we learn it, how we remember it, retain it, focus on it, has that changed at all? So that growing gap creates anxiety, right? They call it information fatigue syndrome because everything is has a syndrome, right? Higher blood pressure, compression of leisure time, more sleeplessness. I mean, the list goes on and on. So digital overload. The second supervillain is digital distraction. I mean, who doesn't feel like how do you how do you remain focused and concentrated? in a, you know, a world full of distraction. I mean, full of, you know, social media updates and app alerts and everything else like that. And finally, a third super villain, I would say you have digital overload, digital distraction is digital dementia. And you're going to be hearing this term in healthcare a lot. This is where we're outsourcing our brains to our smart devices and it does everything for us. It keeps our to-dos, it keeps our calendars. I was out recently with a bunch of friends, it was 10 of us, and three people at the end when the bill came took out their phones to get their calculators to divide by 10, right? And you think it's kind of silly, but we, we, we've outsourced our brains to our smart devices and our minds are like muscles and it's use it or lose it. And now, you know, how many phone numbers did you used to know growing up? Like how <laughs> All many, of them. Exactly. How <laughs> many phone numbers do you know like right now? Just my wife. Exactly. And there'd be somebody you call every single day, but you don't know it if your phone is, you know, battery is dead or you don't have your phone with you. Not that I want to memorize 500 phone numbers, right? But we've lost the ability to memorize one or like a pin code or like what hotel room you're in or whatever. And so they call it digital dementia. Like um, they're not getting early detection of, uh, uh, brain aging uh, conditions because of GPS now, because it's um, if you're relying on on a piece of technology, a third third party piece of technology, to tell you when and where to turn, you're not realizing when you'd have memory lapses, so you're not going to the doctors to get checked out. So technology, I, I, and I'm not, I, I use my phone and it's a tool, but I use it as a tool. Lots so many people are addicted to their phones, right? They every time they they have like any white space, they grab it right away instead of going for a walk and being grounded and being in nature and such. And it's an addiction, and you know it's it's meant to be a tool. But when it's using you, then who's the tool, right? You know what I mean? And so digital distraction is a big challenge also as well. So my my thing here when we're going to intelligence is that intelligence is not fixed. And it's not when you're thinking about math or, or reading or whatever you feel like your intelligence is, it's not how smart you are. It's not how smart your team is. It's not how smart your kids is. That's not the right questions. It's not how smart you are. It's how are you smart? 
It's not how smart you are, it's how are you smart, which is more useful because we all have these incredible superpowers. And I talk about modern day superheroes, you know, that are listening to this because for me, the defining traits of superheroes are twofold. Somebody who's discovered and is developing their superpowers. And I don't mean jumping, leaping tall buildings and shooting lasers out of their eyes and stuff like that. Although I know a lot of people here in, in your office could probably do that. Um, I'm, I'm talk- trying. <laughs> yeah. I'm talking about like, you know, their your superpowers, like your unique ability, your unique talents, your unique strength that makes you who you are. But just having a superpower doesn't make you a superhero. You have to use that superpower for, for service, right? For good and impact, like what you're doing, you know, here and, um, you know, on your show, uh, you know, with, with the brand. And so um, that, that's what I love. I, I, I vision because I grew up with no superpowers. Um, as a kid, I used to, you know, ride my bicycle. My favorite comic book growing up, people ask me all this all the time, who are my favorite superheroes were actually the X-Men. And you're like, Jim, well, they're not the strongest. It was not because they were the strongest. It's just because they didn't fit in. You know, they were the mutants. And I felt like I was, I didn't fit in growing up. Right. I didn't have my friends. And, and I grew up, actually, it was kind of interesting. I grew up out in a suburb of New York City um, in Westchester, New York. And I remember reading one night in the comic books, like when I was nine years old or something, that um, the X-Men school the, for the gifted, you know, Charles Xavier, Professor X, was, um, was in Westchester. So I swear to you, Kyle, every weekend I would ride my bicycle around my neighborhood trying to find that school because that was my dream, because I wanted to find my superpowers. I wanted to discover them. I wanted to find my super friends, because I feel like I want to run away from home and, and, and find my, my purpose and my, my strength. All right, I've got so many questions for you. But, that's, that's, but first, first let, me, let me ask this, because this is a question that I used to ask growing up constantly. Anyone's superpower from a superhero, and it can't be Superman, or you could pick one of his superpowers, but anyone's superpower, yeah. what, would, what would you take? Yeah, so uh, this is an interesting question because um, like <laughs> Superman is pretty you know, badass and he's pretty much invulnerable. Um, my, my, my favorite superhero just is, happens to be Batman um, because he's like he has no super defined superpowers. It's his intelligence, it's his discipline, right? He's his all and he's his rich. training. He, maybe <laughs> maybe afford all the yeah, toys. Maybe, maybe Iron Man and Batman, that's their superpowers. They have money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they're super intelligent and I think that's the ultimate superpower. But I mean, I'm thinking about it. I like, um, because I travel uh, 200 uh, days out of the year speaking, um, <laughs> the ability to teleport would be mm, an amazing superpower. Um, but also I hate people suffering because I grew up, um, as a shy kid with a broken brain, I would just watch people all the time and, you know, be a fly in the wall. And I could really empathize with people were bullied or hurt or not because I was going through that. And if I had a superpower to heal people, that would be self, if, if I had it like a selfless superpower, that would be it. But selfishly, I would like the Wolverine superpower of like healing and, That'd be pretty. That would be pretty badass. Or a Professor X also be able to mind read people, but I don't know if I want to be able to know everyone's. That would be thoughts. tough. Yeah. Control minds, all that. Yeah. yeah, it'd be hard peeking in to yeah. that many people, especially with Cerebro. Exactly. And <laughs> see everyone on the planet at the same time. Yeah, that might be too disturbing. <laughs> so one thing that you talked about that that I think is really important is, um, and you used a term that I was unfamiliar with, but completely understand digital dementia. Yeah. And our addiction to phones is very real. Um, what are some of the practices that you have that help you unplug and reconnect to nature and do things that, you know, yeah. science is now saying are very important and people for millennia have been doing and we've just yeah kind of forgot because we're born with phones now. My son is born with the technology of an iPad like this. All this stuff exists for the first time. And obviously, um, I don't know your age, but you look 
around my age, like you're old enough to know when we had phones that were attached to the fucking wall. Right, And you right, could only right. take them a certain distance in the house. And we watched the cell phone go to become the car phone. And then that became the cordless Zach Morris giant brick phone that we would hold, you know? <laughs> yeah. So seeing that change is, is a help because we understand there was a time before the internet. There was a time yeah. before a lot of these things. But what are some of your favorite yeah, practices absolutely. To, to unplug? and? Yeah, let's, let's unpack this. Um, well, first of all, just as a frame, I'm, I'm all for technology. I'm not, I'm not like, a, like phobic of it. I use it all the time. It allows us to, to help more people. My, my mission is no brain left behind because I, I was a boy with a broken brain. So I just want to build everyone's brains better and brighter. And I think technologies could be a very effective tool. Um, my, my challenge with this, and I, I talked about this on my podcast, is with the digital devices, just so people are clear why we want to do this, is because, uh, number one, like the EMFs, I did a whole episode on this, the electromagnetic fields that come off of our electric devices, like our smart devices, we don't know what it's doing to the human mind and how it's rewiring ourselves. And it's really con um, concerning for me because I, re I read somewhere recently that over 90% of children actually sleep with their phones underneath their pillows. Mm -hmm. I mean, just thinking about- Not on like, airplane mode. Exactly, and what it's doing to, to our brains. Um, so some of the things that I, I'm just kind of just stream of consciousness that I do, um, I have my morning routines, you know, like everybody does. Um, I do 12 things every single morning to jumpstart my brain. And that where they're very, very specific, you know, the whole idea of, you know, as, as you own the day, if you will. Um, and so, but a lot, what's not on that list, the first hour of the day is everybody has a to-do list. And I, I noticed that some of the most successful people have a not to-do list. They're non-negotiables. And on top of my list is not touching my phone the first hour of the day. Mm -hmm. And it's literally not even in my, um, my bedroom you know so part of it is i did a i did two episodes on how to create habits and how to break habits and i interviewed uh dr bj fogg he's from stanford university he runs the influence and persuasion lab there and that's his job is to help make things habitual and actually uh, to that extent one of his students co-founded instagram right so think about how addictive instagram is they, they say the average person opens up instagram 150 times a day i think that kid was paying attention in class yeah i think so also <laughs> but every like that you're getting and everything else like that you know it's a it's a dopamine flood right mm -hmm. it goes along the motivation learning centers of your nervous system and it makes things addictive and so if, if you're if you're listening to this right now if you don't open up instagram 150 times a day that means somebody's opening it up a whole lot more which is really scary um and here's the thing um my not to do this. I don't touch the phone first hour of the day. And the reason why, just from a, a brain perspective, is when you wake up, you, you cycle through these brainwave states. Um, like right now, everybody probably is in beta when you're most awake. Delta is when you're asleep. There are two states in between that are really critical for accelerated learning. Uh, right above delta is a state called theta. And theta is that state you're in and out of sleep. But that's a state of um, creativity. That's where genius comes out of you. Um, and you know this. It, it, you know what puts you in alpha, uh, a theta state is um, is shower, our showers. When you, you notice when you're in the shower, you come up with all these great ideas. Um, and uh, I took four showers this morning, Kyle, does just, just, a, to, just taking, to prepare for this interview. <laughs> does taking a dump put you in theta state? It, it, because it I could, have yeah, great yeah, ideas great on ideas the there also. <laughs> yeah, it's always with places where you, don't, you can't write anything down. And uh, so that's why we teach people how to memorize things like that. But uh, the theta state is where you're most creative. And just by the way, at a meta level, you know, if anyone gets anything out of this conversation, my thing is about taking nouns and turning them into verbs. 
meaning that you, when you wake up in the morning, you, people always want to just hopefully accidentally have creativity or have focus or have love or have motivation or, or have memories, whatever it is. And my thing is you don't have those things. You do those things. You don't have creativity. You do creativity. You don't have love. You do love. You don't have focus. Uh, you do focus and the, and you don't have memory. You actually do memory. It's actual process. And the benefit of turning it into a verb instead of a noun is you don't just, hopefully you have this and just spontaneously someone gives it to you or you wake up with it. It turns into a recipe and a strategy so you could have it at will. And that's what's important. And so my life is about unpacking and showing people the method behind what looks magical to people. And so part of it has the reason why you don't open up your phone first thing in the morning and I'll go through what I do. What I stop doing is touching my phone and I'll tell you what I do in a second, um, going out in nature and such. Um, the reason why is when you're in this theta state and then above that is alpha state, the alpha state where theta is creativity, alpha, and I'm being very simplistic about this. The alpha state is a state of relaxed awareness. This is where we help people learn facts, figures, foreign languages, anywhere from 200 to 300% faster put by putting them into an alpha state, a state of where they're so relaxed in a meditative state, they just absorb information. You know what puts you in alpha state? Television. Television does. You ever notice that, you ever see somebody watching television or sports or a TV show they're really into and you're trying to have a conversation with them and they honestly do not hear you? They can't even look at you. Exactly, because they're in a trance. Because television, it's interesting, television programming, I haven't thought about that before, but it's uh, they're, in a, they're in a trance and it's where information is going into their unconscious mind unfiltered. Their conscious mind is set aside and they're in, in that kind of hypnotic state. And the alpha state is a really good state to learn in and um, for accelerated learning. And um, and so like if you have facts or information coming at you and you're in the alpha state, you'll just absorb it. Meditation puts you in alpha state. That's why hypnosis, when it works, works because they'll put you into a trained hypnotherapist will put you into an um, alpha state and then give you new suggestions where you're not going to fight those suggestions, where you're not going to be critical, saying you are a, you are a non-smoker or you, you get things done easily and effortlessly. You have wonderful focus and an incredible memory and you're more likely to accept those, those new beliefs because your critical not mind is there, is off to the side, your beta mind, if you will. Um, now, th my point of bringing this up, alpha, theta, you're highly suggestible. So when you pick up your phone first thing in the morning, which most people do, you're training your brain to do two things. You're rewiring your brain, number one, for distraction, meaning every single like, comment, share, cat video, whatever you're watching, which is probably not very significant, is literally making you more and more distracted. And you wonder why, you know, when you're at the office, you're reading a page of a book and you can't you know, you get to the end, you just forget what you just read. And you go back, your mind wanders and distracted because we're training our brain to do that. But number two, the other thing you're training your brain to be is reactive. And that's just as dangerous. Meaning that if you want to win that day, you want to be optimal, you know, human performance and, and build your, your day and your, your, your year and your life, you can't be at the whim of everybody else's demands for you, right? Like how many of us have ever opened up our email or check our message, voice message, we get one bad message and we're in that hypnotic, relaxed state, right? Where we're very impressionable and all of a sudden it just ruins the whole day. Right, and so my friend Brendan says, an inbox is nothing but a convenient organizational system for other people's agenda for your life. Like, why are you gonna if you're gonna be a leader and a real modern day superhero and superhuman? Why are you gonna start your day in this hypnotic state, looking at other people's fires for your life? You know what I mean? Respond, you know, like reacting, mm -hmm. and you'll never have a quality life. The reason why. I love your show is because the people that you attract in your community, your thermostats, not thermometers, 
You know what I mean? The difference, like a thermometer functionally, and we learn through metaphors. So that's why I use metaphors to accelerate learning. Uh, a thermometer, what is its function? It reacts to the environment. Literally, that's all it does. It just reacts to the environment. But a thermostat's completely different. A thermostat sets a temperature, it sets a goal, it sets a vision, what happens to the environment. It raises to meet that, right? Because that's that's the whole, for me, that's the whole point of life is to live at cause, right? To be responsible. And most people avoid responsibility because they don't, because they're entrepreneurs and they value their freedom. They wanna do what they want, when they want, with who they want for as long as they want, but they avoid discipline and responsibility. But for me, you know, you've heard the term like discipline, you know, is, is freedom. It gives you the freedom because if you can't get yourself to do the things you need to do to work out, to journal, to meditate, to float, to do the, your, 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 your cold therapy, whatever it is is good for you, then you're in trouble, right? And I believe first you create your habits and then your habits create you. You create those habits, but 40% or more of our day is spent habitual routine. And we don't even realize that when we actually design that consciously. And so that that's a big challenge. So my my point is put the phone aside, put it on airplane mode, whatever it is. I, for me, I wake up and what I do do is I have three things I need to do personally and three things I want to do professionally every single day. I don't, while I also have a to-do list with hundreds of things on it, I look for the the early dominoes, right? The things that are going to have the mass effect on and hit the most things. Um, Pareto's principle, the 80-20 rule and such. I focus on that. But the three things I need to, I want to like work backwards. I always want to reverse engineer. Like at the end of this day, it's going to happen. And I want to, you know, come back to my loved ones and they're like, how's your day? I was like, I crushed it today. You know, I won today. And then I think of, okay, what are the three things personally and three things professionally that had to happen for me to be that way? And I designed it backwards from that. What happened right before that? What happens for right before that, before that? And so I don't touch my phone um, or check any of my messages unless I get one of those three things done. And then that gives me permission to do it. And it's an, e- it's an easy out for me, like in terms of test for me. And then what do I do is I really do. And while I do a lot of the biohacking and the neurofeedback and I do like a lot of like high tech um, stuff, I also think the low tech, the analog stuff is nothing could replace that, right? Nothing could replace sunshine, nothing could replace clean air, nothing could replace like the best water ever, nothing could replace movement. You know, our, you know, our friend Aaron, you know, like the floor culture and just being on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. And and all of that. And I just, so I like to indulge in that because my problem is every, in this life, like we live in this age, I had to coach, um, I've done some work with Elon Musk and SpaceX. I mean, we live in a world of electric cars and spaceships that are going to Mars, but our vehicle of choice when it comes to learning and education, it's like a horse and buggy. I mean, it is so prehistoric, right? Like, and, and that's the challenge. They say if Rip Van Winkle woke up today after decades of slumber and sleep, the only thing he would recognize are schools. And uh, it's not a slight against teachers. Like my mother actually became a special ed teacher because she didn't know how to help me growing up with my my issues. And my aunt's a school teacher and so on, but it's a s- system issue. The world has changed so much, but the, but the we're not prepared. So if you're listening to this, you feel overloaded, distracted, you know, like you're losing, you're forgetful, you're absent-minded, you don't know where you put your keys or if not something larger like your car, you see the people in the parking lot, hey, where'd I park my car today? Or you forget names, all those things. It's not your fault. It's just, we we weren't taught. And so my thing is like everybody right now is sitting in front of their digital devices. And, you know, I was having this conversation with our, with our friend, um, with our friend, Aaron, like when you're talking on your phone, most people are bent over like this, right? Like this, if you take the phone out of your, out of the person's hand and just see the silhouette, they look like they're so depressed. Their physiology literally looks like they're sad. 
And, um, and that's what we're doing to ourselves all the time. And so for me, I like to, you know, I set my um, uh, alarm going off every 30 minutes. And I work for 30 minute intervals and I take a five minute, what I call a brain break. And I do three things. I move because pr primarily, just so everyone knows, the primary function of your brain is to control your movement. So there's a very clear brain-body connection and a body-brain connection, that as the body moves, your brain grooves. There was a study done at Oxford University recently that said jugglers have bigger brains. It literally create more white matter. And just so learning new physical activities actually makes you smarter. Um, and, so, um, and so we do all kinds of physical activities like that. So I move and then I, I hydrate because your brain is you know 70 plus percent water. And most people, when they have mental fatigue, they have brain fog, they're just not hydrated, right? And so I make sure I have the best water ever during that break. And then I do deep breathing because your brain, most people who have that fog or that mental fatigue and everything else, because they have reading fatigue or whatever it is, a lot of times they're just not getting oxygen like because their posture is so bad. Because everyone, when they're reading, they're collapsed. And when they do, they, close, they collapse their diaphragm. And people don't realize that the lower one third of your lungs absorbs two thirds of the oxygen. So you wonder why you're tired all the time. So I, I set my alarm, they call it the Pomodoro technique. The Pomodoro technique says that your attention span really dips after about 25, 30 minutes. And so I set my, knowing that science, I set my alarm to go off every 30 minutes. I take a five minute brain break to move, to breathe and to hydrate. And then I get back to work. And also just on the thing we, you and I were talking about focus with our device, a lot, so many people try to multitask. And I, I just wanna make it really clear that the research is very clear that multitasking is a myth. Like people think they're able to do two cognitive activities, not, not walking, chewing gum and have a conversation, but two thinking activities. We're not able to do that. It, the more accurate term is called task switching. And you're actually switching tasks. And every single, here's the cost. Every time you switch a task, it takes anywhere from five to 20 minutes to regain your flow and regain your focus. So you're actually losing ground and time which we talked about is your most valuable asset. But the other thing is they did these studies with, um, with doctors, they find they make more errors also as well. People are trying to multitask, make more mistakes. And so you don't, you don't wanna do that. You wanna focus on one thing until it, until it gets done. Let's unpack routine because so many people, you know, especially younger people, I think the issue here is that in, in work, in school, in having the daily duties of life, we're told what to do and when to do it so often that we want any of our free time to be spontaneous. We want to have this flexibility of, fuck it, I just want to do whatever I can do and it's going to be on my terms and I'm not setting up a schedule on my, on my free time to do certain things and I just want to go with the flow. And then you, you look at that mindset and then you look at every book that's ever been written about somebody that's doing special shit on this planet. Yeah they have a routine, they have a yeah. system. And it's not just a morning routine or a bedtime routine. It's often a daily routine that starts with the morning routine and you have a daily practice on how often you're gonna work and for what duration, yeah. when you're gonna take breaks. They talk about the Pomodoro technique and the yeah. productivity journal. I mean, everywhere as you take a deeper dive into these things, people are setting up routines with intention and conscious planning of yeah. how they're gonna go about their day. And then that affords them time yeah. to be in nature, to meditate, to do whatever they want to do, to play with family because they are better and more efficient at getting things done. Can you break down what you do in the, the first 
12 yeah. is it 12 steps yeah you got a 12 I, mean, step I, I, program? I, I, I do i don't do every single thing every single morning because like you i you know i have travel and responsibilities but i think having something is better than you know you don't have to do everything that's there um, but the more you could do i also don't believe in a magic bullet that there's no magic you know memory pill for example but there is a magic memory process for example so i, I put everything into processes um so yeah i believe that first you create your habits then you and then your habits create you that structure will lead to freedom, um, that people that has to be consciously designed. Otherwise, we're at the whim of everything. And um, that's not where I, where I feel like the most successful, fulfilled, happy people are. It doesn't happen by accident. It happens by design. And so how I designed the first hour of my day, the, um, just a few things. And I did, a, I did a whole episode on this. It was the most, most downloaded episode. Um, I wake up and the first thing I do, I go through a process of remembering my dreams. Um, so everything I do is brain-based uh, to help set me up to win that day because I feel like nobody listening to this is paid for their muscle power. You're paid or solely your muscle power. You're paid for your mind power, right? You're not paid for your brute strength. You're paid for your brain strength because your brain controls everything. And so today's economy, knowledge is not only power, knowledge is profit. And I don't mean financial profit. That's obvious. The faster you can learn, the faster you can earn, right? But I mean all the treasures of your life, your know, relationships, your health, everything. The great thing about this, and you have a lot of these you know, experts on your show, is some, someone, has, someone has decades of experience they put into a book and you could read that in a few days like you, you could download decades into days even conversations like this is, is sometimes even better than reading a book right you could get so much knowledge even when we were talking this morning i got so many ahas after our conversation and that's that's everything so i wake up in the morning and the first thing i do is i remember my dreams and now why why is that important because because most people don't remember their dreams but the dream state is very important right because i have my my hour at night that I always, that's all about sleep, right? And, you know, so I have my, my evening routine also as well to maximize my sleep um, because I, I have a sleep apnea condition, which I don't talk about a lot, but I, I only sleep a few hours a night because I stopped breathing over 200 times and every time is more than 10 seconds long. Do you use a CPAP? I have for years, um, and then I've had dental devices, and I've had you know one-on-ones with the top experts out there. I even went to Brazil to meet with John of God. I mean, I, I biohacked the heck out of it um, with all our friends um, that you've had on sh- on the show, you know, and um, sleep experts like you know Sean Stevenson and Ben mm-hmm. and Ben Greenfield. All the people have helped me keep you know keep me well, and I have a float tank, and I do all the things, and I do my cryotherapy and everything to keep me resilient. And, and strong, but having that sleep deficit, it's just a breathing disorder and I've had surgery, I've done all this stuff. It's, I always look for the gift. I believe that people talk about traumatic, um, post-traumatic stress all the time. I also believe there's post-traumatic growth that some people who are listening to this have gone through some really difficult adversity, right? Challenging times, um, things that they wouldn't wish upon anybody. But the people that come out shining really have this post-traumatic growth where they they found a strength, they found a mission, they found a life purpose, they found a meaning that wasn't there before. And, um, and they share it with the world, right? Because their mess be- has become their message. And, you know, same with mine. But I also feel like they found a gift in that challenge. And for me, the two gifts that came from my sleep apnea, number one, it's forced me to double down on everything I teach because I'm a, I, I live this stuff. I could literally roll out of bed at four o'clock in the morning and have this conversation with you with no preparation, just like yourself, because you've lived it through your life. You know, I remember I, I coach a lot of actors on how to speed read scripts, remember their lines better and such, be focused on set. And I was with um, Will Smith recently and he was filming every night from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. night shoots. And I was like, I, and I always believed my prime directive, like belief when it comes to learning is genius leaves clues. That if somebody is extraordinary in some area that you could 
find that you could get similar results by unpacking, you know, what they do unconsciously. And I wanted to know, like, I was like, you know, Will, how do you get ready? Like, you're just waiting here all night. And then for the director to say, okay, ready to shoot. Um, you know, how do you get ready at three o'clock in the morning? And he looked at me, he's like, Jim, I don't have to get ready. I stay ready. I don't have to get ready. I stay ready. And I literally was just blown away because, because he lives what he does. Now he's doing a lot on social media. And I was on the set recently of Gemini Man. There's a new movie comes out where, where he's, he's, he plays the world's best assassin and he's being hunted by somebody that's better than him. And it's like a clone 20 year version of him kind of thing. It's really amazing. Um, but when we were there, we were talking um, about this idea of preparation. And I, I really do believe he lives what he, he's doing all this thing on social media. And I was like, why are you doing this? And he was like, well, you know, because when he does movies and television, it's all pre-scripted for him. But he has all this motivation and, and, you know, learnings that he wants to share. And he wants to do it in a way that's not as produced and more raw. And that's what he's doing. That's his, more of his purpose. And that's why he's doing all his vlogs and his, you know, his YouTubes and his Instagram and everything else like that. Um, but my point of bringing this up is he's living his message just like you are. And I believe the the less, the the life we live are the lessons we teach. The life we live are the lessons we teach. You know, it's better well done than well said. And so, so many people talk about stuff and they can repeat other people's stuff over and over again, but they're not doing it in their life. And I feel like if you're not doing it, you don't truly understand it. You know what I mean? So many people could quote all the top experts and everything, but if but when it comes down to it, they're not living that stuff. So they're not getting the kind of results. And for me, the formula is be, do, have, share. That's how you win, right? You be, do, have. Because so many people just want to have. Like, But the problem is like somebody winning the lottery. I saw it like on the way here, there's this billboard for the lottery. I was like, wow, $200 million like lottery. Like that's crazy. And but somebody, and what statistically somebody halves, like gets that, that level. What happens over time? They end up losing all of it and more. Right, because they have millions of dollars, but at the B level, they were never being a millionaire. So I believe there's a syntax to success, just like there is a the phone number. If you have the same numbers but reverse two of the numbers, same numbers, but you won't get the same kind of result. Same thing with with success. Um, so living that is very important. So my going back to my morning routine is I wake up, I remember my dreams. The reason why I remember my dreams is when you're sleeping, going back to sleep, the second gift I got out of having this sleep deficit all the time is number one, it dealt, I double down on everything I teach because I have to, otherwise I won't be efficient or effective. But the other the second gift that came out of my post-traumatic growth, if you will, my sleep deficit of sleeping two, three hours a night is, um, is it's, it's forced me to really commit to certain things and not commit to other things. Meaning if you're listening to this and you're overstressed and you're overloaded, I, I have a high hunch that it's because you guys are saying yes way too much. Mm. And you know, people overcommit and say yes to everything. And you could, do, you could do anything, but you can't do everything. And you have to say, what's the, what's the quote? You have to say no to good so you can say yes to great. And most people are saying yes to all the good things. And then as they become more and more successful, they get more and more opportunities and you know, their fear of missing out and everything. But my, my thing is it's forced me, like right now I'm here because I wanna be here. There's nowhere I'd rather be and nowhere I'd rather be with because I was really looking for, I, you know, flying out to Austin and do this um, because everything for me is, is heck yes or it's heck no. And that's my filter. And that's a gift that came out for lack of sleep. Because when you're tired all the time, you, you have to be very choosy in terms of what you commit to. And you know, this, you've heard this phrase, this, this idea before that priorities only became plural only the past couple of decades. Before it was like priority one, it was like the one priority. And it's kind of like the person that takes a book, and I teach you know, speed reading and comprehension and such, that highlights everything. But if you highlight everything and you know, the book glows in the dark, if, everything, <laughs> if everything's important, nothing is important. 
Yeah. And that's the thing. So many people are making everything important. They're spread too thin and they can't do anything really well done. So the first thing I do is I remember my dreams. But the reason why I remember my dreams and sleep is so important the night before um, is because people don't realize this. So many things in culture that you see around in your environment was created in people's dream states. So as an example, Elias Howe created the sewing machine in his dream. Mary Shelley came up with Frankenstein in her dream. The periodic table came to a chemist. That whole framework came to a chemist in his dream, right? Like Paul McCartney came out with the song yesterday in his dream. So here's the thing. When you're learning all day or you're working your job all day, your brain doesn't shut off at night. It actually is more active at night. And it's integrating short to long-term memory. And you're coming up with great ideas. What ideas are you coming up with late at night that you're forgetting first thing in the morning? Right. So I have a six-step process. I did a podcast on this um, on how to remember dreams. So that's the first thing I do. The second thing I do is um, I make my bed. And you've heard this before from other people. So it's not, but from a brain perspective, I believe success breeds success. And that how you do anything is how you do everything. So you make your bed with excellence. That's why they do it in the military and such. And you build on that. And the great thing about it is when you come back and go to sleep, you're coming back to success also as well. Third thing I do is I brush my teeth. And you're like, Jim, why is that good for your brain? I actually I have a twist on it. I brush my teeth with the opposite hand, right? Because it gets me present and it also challenges my, my, my brain also. There was a, um, a study done by Dr. Lawrence Katz and he wanted to, he worked, he was working with seniors, wanted to find out how to keep their brains alive as they grew older. And he came up with these like exercises that are very simple. And a lot of them had to do with just brushing your teeth with the opposite hand, eating with the opposite hand, because there is a brain-body connection, but what science is proving right now, it's also a body-brain connection, that using your body in certain ways stimulate different parts of your brain. So for example, like if, God forbid, you know somebody who has head trauma on the left side of their brain or stroke, if there's paralysis, it'll manifest on the right side of their body um, because there's cross-laterals. But what science is showing that if you use your, like for example, your left hand, it actually stimulates your right side of your brain, which is more creative, imaginative, and so on. Um, so we do that with reading exercises and such. So that's what I do then. And then after that, I have I hydrate big time because people don't realize they lose like what, like a pound of water, you know, every single night through respiration and perspiration. So I hydrate. I mineralize it also. I take my probiotics because I do believe your gut is your second brain in terms of the nerve center and such. Then I take a, a cold shower. And a lot of, I know, you know, cold therapy, you know, just for the inflammation alone, like this morning before we got here, I took a, I took an ice bath because just like, you know, when, if you bump your knee, you put ice on it to reduce the swelling and inflammation. Um, you know, you, we, we have that and that's you know, the beginning of a lot of disease and challenges that we have, especially in the brain. So I take a cold shower, which a lot of people, some people subscribe to, do you take yeah, we actually have a, a standalone chest freezer that's 22 cubic feet. No way. Uh, Dr. Kelly Sturette and uh, Matt Vinson, a good friend of mine, have been on the show, and they were telling me that get the chest freezer. It's 500 bucks, free delivery, fill it full of water, Epsom salt. Uh, <clears throat> Luke Story, who you may know, has a really good setup as well, where he puts food-grade hydrogen peroxide in, mm. and then it just keeps the water good longer without using chlorine. That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah, it's between 33 to 55 degrees on average and if it's colder okay. I'll, I'll go shorter you know two, right three to five minutes if it's a little warmer in the 50s then i'll stay in you know 10 15 minutes but yeah it's it's incredible and there's that cascade effect where it you know a lot of people look at the physical thing like oh this i heard it helps me burn fat you know and they talked about that in the four-hour body with mm -hmm. tim ferris but it's so much more than that you know yeah. truly you know now with the science done at harvard and and previous studies being done in the netherlands on wim hof we see huge spikes in dopamine and adrenaline 
And those have wonderful effects on how we feel, how yeah. we process information and how our immune system functions. I mean, you're just tackling many things, you know, yeah. at the same time. So it, it is an incredible practice. I love that. I um I met Wim six and a half years ago. We did uh we did some ice baths together. I interviewed him six years ago, spear speaking at an event. But um cold therapy has totally changed transformed my life. You know, especially at the sleep at deficit, it helps to totally reset my nervous system and um and it makes all the difference. So I, I, I take a cold shower. And then um, then after that, I make some kind of like a brain tea, you know, with uh, uh, go to cola, um, ginkgo, lion's mane and such, put a little honey and some MCT oil. And, uh, and then I, I journal, you know, I go through it. And I notice also that some of the most genius, and I'm again, not IQ, but they, they, did this, they wanted to find out, they did a study with geniuses. They wanted to know, did their, you know, always all these geniuses were journaling, but is it because they're geniuses that they're journaling or is it because they're journaling all the time that they become geniuses? And I have a whole note-taking process that I do uh, called note, you know, where I'm, I'm creating, I'm capturing and I'm also creating at the same time. And I, it's very simple, you know, everyone knows there's a learning curve, but people don't realize there's a forgetting curve that people can listen to a podcast or go to a conference um, or read a book, but within 48 hours, 80% of it is lost on average, 80%, that's the forgetting curve, which is insane. But what helps to mitigate that is taking notes and using memory devices and such. So when I take notes, um, I did a, a podcast episode on this. It's besides mind mapping. You, you, you've done some mind mapping before. No, it's, it's a whole brain note taking technique um, created by Tony Buzan, which basically says linear notes are not the way to go because you could take thirty pages. Actually, the worst way of taking notes scientifically is uh, people might, would intuit this, but they might not sure the reason why is everything ver verbatim. Full transcripts are the worst way of taking notes. Um, and then people say, should you do it digitally or handwriting? I always prefer handwriting because anyone could type as fast as somebody could talk, but um, or most people could. But when you're handwriting, you can't hand, you can't you can't write as fast as someone could talk. So it forces you to filter what's most important, right? Mm. But they found that if you have 20 pages of notes, you could have something on page 20, you know, like 18 that's more important than what's on page one, but you don't see that. Uh, mind mapping is a way of putting everything on one page view where you have the main idea in the center. Let's say it's optimal human performance or health. And then coming out of there like spikes or uh, branches from a tree, you have, okay, you have nutrition, you have working out, you have rest and recovery and so on. And then from those like nutrition, you have like, okay, from here you have your food, from here you have supplements and so on. And then from food, you have, okay, four food groups or whatever, you just break it down. And all of a sudden you could have this obscure, you know, wild fish compared to this, this protein to the, the diet, to nutrition, to optimal health. You can see it all in one page view. Um, for me, I take a different, a little different approach and note taking. I take a piece of paper, put a line down the page, and on the left side, I capture information. On the right side, I create information. Meaning that on the left side, I take notes. On the right side, I make notes. So for example, on the left side, I would be like, oh, this is how you remember names. This is how you read faster. This is how you give a speech without notes. Um, and I would write step by step. But on the right side, you would write your impressions of what you're capturing. Meaning like, oh, questions you have, what you how does it compare to what you already know? How are you gonna use this in the future? How are you gonna teach it to somebody else? So if your attention is gonna go somewhere else, right brain distracted, it might as well go on the right side of the page. And I find that's an extremely effective um, technique. I do it, I teach at universities and, and companies all the time. Um, so I, I go through my journaling. So I think making notes is very important and reflecting because I feel like all knowledge is self-knowledge and you could coach yourself um, because we know so much. And then from there, I, I do some I do some rapid movement. You know, I spend a good it's not my morning workout, but for four minutes, I'll do something you know high intensity, 
like burpees or something like that to get my blood flow. And again, this is not in any specific order. And you, I don't necessarily do every single thing every single time. And then I make a, a brain power smoothie similar to, to what I'm drinking right now, Genius here at Onnit. And then I'll, uh, I'll read. And I like to read 30 minutes in the morning. If I find that reading is one of the best mental exercises. And um, you know, I did a whole episode on how to read a book a week without speed reading. And people don't realize how easy it is. Not, not, not easy, simple it is, right? Because it takes effort. But they're about, um, I looked at Amazon, they're about 64,000 words in the average book. And the average person reads about 200 words a minute. If you divide those two numbers, it comes out to about 320 minutes to finish a book, which seems like a lot. But if you divide that by seven, days in a week, it comes out to about 45 minutes exactly. So 45 minutes of reading a day will get you through a book a week, which is 52 books a year, which is the average person reads about two books a, a, a year. You know, So what kind of advantage does the person, it's like having three PhDs reading 52 books a year. You know, like um, when people drive, some people turn their university, you know, their books, their cars into universities on wheels, they listen to podcasts. And, uh, but notice like when you listen to, when I, when I listen to your, your show or most people listen to our shows, they listen to it at a 1.5 or 2X, they can listen to it faster. They just can't read that fast or talk that fast. Um, and so it's kind of interesting on a side note, I know I'm kind of going everywhere here because I want to deliver as much information usable as possible. Um, the reason why people read slowly is something called subvocalization. That's the real challenge, subvocalization. Subvocalization is like when you're reading, you hear that inner voice inside your head reading along with you. And you hear that voice, mm -hmm. you know, hopefully it's your own voice. It's not like somebody else's voice in there. But the, if, <laughs> David Attenborough. Exactly. I, I, more, more for me, it's Morgan Freeman, you know. I, I, every <laughs> That's a voice. fucking slow pace. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's, uh, he, yeah, I like came on the intro of our podcast. It's all about like, you know, what if you could access 100% of your brain's potential? Um, but, um, but anyway, the reason why, if you have to say all the words inside your mind in order to understand them, you can only read as fast as you could speak. To say it another way, that means your reading speed is limited to your talking speed, not your thinking speed. And that's why a lot of people read so slowly because do you have to say words like New York City to understand what New York City is? The truth is you don't because you've seen those words a thousand times, just like I say, computer, right? Um, you don't have to say it, you know it by sight. 95% of all the words that you read are sight words, like a stop sign. Nobody sees, nobody says stop to themselves every time they see a stop sign, but do you comprehend exactly what it means? Of course you do. The fastest readers, they, they don't subvocalize or they limit their subvocalization. So I, I read and I do my speed reading and I, and I read for about half an hour a day. I think it's the best mental exercise brain hack there is, is reading is great exercise to wake up your mind first thing in the morning. And again, you're downloading decades of knowledge in just days. And that's, that's a huge advantage. Um, and then, you know, I just, it goes on from there. Hell yeah. <laughs> Dude, we, we crushed the hour. We're, we're uh, obviously, I would love to get links to the podcast you mentioned. Yeah. We definitely want to turn people on your podcast. Yeah. People if just go to Quick Brain. My, so the only thing is when people search my name, it's K-W-I-K. It's really my last name. It's not, I didn't change it to do what I do. My, it's my father's name, my grandfather's name. With a name like Quick, you know, I had, my destiny was pretty much planned out. I had to be a runner back in school. There's a lot of pressure when your name is quick, right? Can't read slowly. Yeah, I, I have to be careful when I'm driving because the worst name to have on your driver's license when you get pulled over for speeding is the name quick because you're not going to talk your way out of the ticket. <laughs> and I get to do my passion, which is helping people learn, read, remember, focus, succeed faster. Yeah. So. Amazing, brother. You and on what, social media as well? Yeah, at uh, Jim Quick, K-W-I-K. So they can access the podcast. Um, every episode is only 10, 15 minutes long. They're brain hacks for busy people who want to learn faster and achieve more. And uh, what I would love for people to do is actually screenshot this episode that that we just did, 
post it on your social media, where whether it's Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, or whatever, tag both of us. And I would love for people to share their big aha. Like if they got some value out of this, what the one thing that they took out of it, because when you teach something, you get to learn it twice. I, I really do believe when you listen to something, when you learn something with the intention of teaching it to somebody else, then it, you have better focus, you have better organization, you ask better questions, you take better notes. And when you teach it, you get to own it. And said, so, you know, and it becomes part of you. So what I would recommend as a as a to do right now, screenshot this episode, post on your social media, tag us both, and please share your big aha and teach teach your friends, you know, what you learned. Awesome, brother. Thank Dude. you so much. Thank you guys for listening to the podcast with our man, Jim Quick. We had this very special experience of having Jim do a lecture for the Onnit staff. Uh, shortly after we podcasted together and again was thoroughly blown away by his expertise make sure you give his podcast a listen quick brain and give him a shout and do what he said on the podcast take a screenshot of this episode and tweet us both or throw us up on the ig and let us know what you gained from this or what you wish to learn what you'd like to take a deeper dive into and uh, jim and i will be happy to get back to you guys thanks for tuning in